950, the progressive voice of Minnesota and the 4 o'clock show. The Facebook stream is wrong, but it's actually Brett and Sam today. I wrote Brett and Eric for some reason, but you are not Eric. You are Sam. He was in earlier, so. Yeah, there we go. A little confused at the beginning of the day there, but uh, yeah, it is Brett and Sam. Here on your Monday afternoon, very snowy day, so be careful driving. I actually had to go out during lunch and uh, get my computer repaired, and since it uh, has some problems with it kind of being on its last legs, but I'm hoping to get a few more years out of it, but I was driving over to get it repaired, and I was not able to go above 35 miles an hour on really any single road outside, so... Do be careful, even though traffic probably will be lighter this week, with it being a holiday week, of course, with New Year's Eve tomorrow and then New Year's Day also on Wednesday. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. It is our final live show of the year for both Matt's show and mine, because tomorrow both of our shows are pre-recorded. Same thing on Wednesday, and then I'm back with a live show on Thursday, the first one of 2020, as we head into that election cycle. And of course, with it being the last show of 2019, or at least the last live show for me of 2019, yep, I'm going to do the gimmick. I'm going to make predictions for 2020 politically. I'll do that later on in the show, and I will do it with a little bit of a twist, because often when you hear people make predictions on podcasts or radio shows or TV, they never go back and actually see how they did with those predictions at the end of the year. So I promise to actually hold myself accountable and see how my predictions hold up. I'm going to make some calls on what I see happening at both the national and the state level. So we'll be doing that in segments two and three of the show. But want to start off with a non-political topic on today's show since I heard Matt talking about this a little bit during the last hour. And I'll ask you, Sam, have you seen Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker yet? No, I tried to, but I didn't plan ahead enough. So the seats were already all bought out and I'm going to get to it eventually You'll, here. Okay. I, miss, right. I didn't plan ahead and I should have. Well, I, I wouldn't necessarily rush to it. I would say it was it was a meh movie. I kind of enjoyed it, but I still thought there were definitely some areas where they could have improved and my whole thing is with this i actually have the opposite take as what matt was saying the last hour i think it's actually the critics who didn't like the movie and the so-called star wars nerds that actually did love the movie because to me i i felt like as i watched that movie it kind of felt like a fan fiction type script no spoilers giving away. I'm not going to say anything of what actually happens in the movie in case you haven't seen it yet. But at least as I went through and watched it, it just seemed like it was specifically out there to be a crowd-pleasing movie and basically try to not offend anyone. It just felt overall like a really, really safe script. And then, of course, you had the battle of the directors between J.J. Abrams and Rain Johnson as they both had very different visions on how that trilogy should have gone. I think ultimately... They should have at least had J.J. Abrams direct all three movies or Rain Johnson direct all three movies because when you split up the movies where Johnson got one and J.J. Abrams got two, you basically had those two guys kind of battling it out where Johnson took the second movie, um, The Last Jedi, into a completely different direction, which, by the way, I actually liked. I, I appreciated that he actually tried to take Star Wars in kind of a different direction. And then you had J.J. Abrams kind of going back to the fan service in the third movie. So, yeah, they got to figure something out over there at Star Wars for that next trilogy that they make and actually have the directors on board with the same entire concept. Kind of like what the Marvel movies actually do because they actually have a really good lineup of actually having the directors on the same page and making sure that there's continuity and they all kind of have the same feel to them. So a little bit of work to do with Star Wars, but we'll see what happens in the next trilogy. I think they already are planning a new one to come out like in 2022. So, yeah, they're certainly going to be chugging along with yet another trilogy. But at least in terms of big franchises like that, in terms of Star Wars or Marvel, When's the next time, and Sam, you can chime in on this too, when's the next time we're going to see a year like 2019 at the box office where you're going to have so many like super mega blockbusters opening where you have movie showtimes basically running 24 hours a day, advanced tickets sold out for weeks and weeks because we ran into that with Endgame. We also ran into that, of course, with The Rise of Skywalker. Even Frozen 2, the sequel, kind of ran into that same situation as well, and 
I look out like over the next 10 to 15 years, I can't really see any movie franchises that could have that same sort of effect. Can you think of any off the top of your head? The only one I could think that could maybe do that would be when they released the new Avatar movies. But even then, Avatar hasn't had a new movie in what, like 11 years. So even that one, I think, could still have a kind of be stale in the taste of people's mouths where they might not care about it as much. Can you think of anything that would have that same sort of impact as the Marvel movies or the new Star Wars? No. I mean, yeah. I want them to do like a League of Legends series, but I don't think enough people in North America are. Yeah, it would be a solid series, but yeah, it wouldn't have the same cultural <laughs> impact as those two series. In Korea, it might be a different story. <laughs> yeah, well, Korea, oh, most definitely. But yeah, we'll see. Uh, so... Probably won't see another year like this, uh, 2019, at least in terms of uh, movies that are coming out and blockbuster hits. All right, let's move on to the politics for today. And the snow and the ice outside kind of got me thinking about this. It's something that the Star Tribune wrote last weekend about all these sports domes that are being built around the Twin Cities. Basically, a number of suburbs have been building these over the past few years, including two more that are set to open next year in Osseo and Lakeville. And by the way, these domes are not cheap whatsoever, as they cost upwards of about $10 million. And it got me thinking about it, because obviously we have snow and ice outside, and if you play a sport that happens to be played in the summer, or in the spring, or in the fall, you probably want to be inside one of those domes. But these do come at an enormous, enormous cost. Again, upwards of $10 million, and some of these have been funded entirely through public taxpayer funds. Some of them have been a combination with taxpayer money, and also uh, private companies that have also funded parts of these sports domes. But the problem I kind of have with these sports domes is that Well, if you look at the material these are actually built out of, they kind of look like the same thing that the old Metrodome was built out of, those inflatable-type domes. And if you look at how modern stadiums are actually built, at least at the college and the pro level, you don't see air-inflated domes built anymore. Yet here we are going around and actually building these air-inflated domes all over the Twin Cities, which seems like we're using really dated technology for something that is very expensive to maintain, as the Star Tribune reported, as I believe the dome that just opened in Savage is actually running at a deficit of like $350,000 per year. And overall, yeah, why would you build a dome out of that same air-inflated material that the Metrodome was built out of? Because supposedly that's why we needed to tear the Metrodome down to actually get a new modern stadium. But ultimately, I kind of think it comes down to this as well. Why do you actually need to play the same sport year-round? It kind of goes to this idea of sports specialization that we see at the high school level and even now at the youth sports level, where basically you have kids playing sports year-round, at least the same sport year-round. There's nothing wrong with playing sports year-round. It's just the idea that you only have to play one sport and and you have to specialize in it. And that's a big reason why you see these sorts of domes where you have to have someone playing baseball, tours, 365 days per year, or at least access to play at 365 days per year. So I just kind of f- find it funny here that we always talk about how, oh, look at liberal Minneapolis and liberal St. Paul wasting all this taxpayer money on so-and-so program, yet we have all these suburbs spending millions and millions of dollars on sports domes that are being built with, looks like to me, from outdated technology And then the fact that they're still catering to sports specialization when it actually turns out athletes probably turn out better when they actually can play different sports year-round. So I would at least say during the winter months here in Minnesota, go play a different sport. Go play basketball. Go play hockey or go wrestle or whatever other winter sports are out there. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. So got to get to a couple of pieces of news with the current Democratic presidential frontrunner. Joe Biden, because this little piece that was put out here actually by Fox News of all media sources really caught my attention as being a pretty genius idea by Joe Biden if he actually were to win the nomination and then go on to win the presidency. The headline says Joe Biden open open to putting Barack Obama on the Supreme Court. Biden said he would be open to the idea of nominating former President Barack Obama for the Supreme Court. Biden said if he take it, then yes, I would nominate him. And to me, this is a great strategy, actually, from a potential Joe Biden. Again, kept emphasis on potential President Joe Biden. 
because likely, and we're going to get into this into my predictions coming up in the next segment in terms of what happens in 2020, if you end up with a President Joe Biden, chances are you're probably still going to have a Republican-controlled Senate. And if you're trying to get a new Supreme Court nominee through, you're going to have to get that nominee through a Republican Supreme Court. And we saw the luck that Barack Obama had back in 2016. So the idea of actually nominating a former president actually kind of strikes me as being a stroke of genius because that would be a very tough person to actually deny in a full Senate confirmation hearing. So that would actually not be a bad strategy to put Obama on the Supreme Court should should Joe Biden actually win the nomination and the presidency. Of course, there's probably other justices I would rather see on the Supreme Court. I'm just talking about who would actually likely be able to make it through a Republican-controlled Senate once it comes to Senate confirmation hearings. All right, we're going to take a break and then get into some predictions on what I see possibly happening in the 2020 elections. We're going to make some predictions on the state level and then, of course, also a prediction on what will happen at the national level with the presidential election. So stay tuned. That's going to be on the way next. Vinaigrette wishes all of the AM950 listeners happy holidays and thank you for remembering Vinaigrette when selecting your special holiday and hostess gifts this season. We are passionate about food and purveyors of the finest olive oils and vinegars, but we are much more than that. We are a family from Minneapolis that cares about our community and the people in it, and we are so grateful for our employees and customers. Visit us at 50th and Xerxes in Minneapolis and at vinaigrettemn.com. That's vinaigrettemn.com. Happy holidays! Hi, this is Ryan, owner of Snap Construction. It's been great working with so many of the passionate AM950 listeners over the years. We have realized how important AM950 is to the community. I want to see AM950 continue to grow and continue to thrive into the future. To help continue to grow, Snap Construction will be putting up proceeds to assist the station in marketing on social media. Snap Construction encourages you to do your part by liking and sharing the content on AM950 social media platforms. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Ryan has always told me the best time to get work done is during the cold months of the year because demand is much lower. He is backing that up again by offering 30% off labor on windows and siding from now until the end of December. Call Snap Construction now to get 30% off labor on windows and siding. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Trust the company AM950 Trust Snap Construction, arguably the most well-reviewed roofing, siding, and window contractor in the metro area. Get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. I'm Connie Burek, co-host of Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show. Join Michelle Kitzmiller and I as we focus on all aspects of health, wellness, spirituality, and growth from a mind-body-spirit-emotion perspective. On the Awakened Living Radio Show, we will discuss stress, self-care, fear, happiness, beliefs, communication, joy, pain, trauma, and more. Join us for the Awakened Living Infusion Radio Show Saturdays at 10 a.m. Let us share with you ways to infuse vitality into life. The British are coming! The British are coming! The British are coming! Hey, you there! I'm Paul Revere! The British are coming! Where is everyone? Ben Franklin dispatched an evacuation warning on Facebook. Didn't you get it? Hi, I'm Chad Hobart with Social Media MN. If your marketing is behind the times, contact us today online at socialmediamn.com or at 763-244-4058. We can help your business message get dispatched and selected on social media and Google search. We offer uncomplicated, results-driven, and affordable internet marketing solutions for businesses of all sizes. Socialmediamn.com or 763-244-4058. On the 4 o'clock show on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett and Sam with you on a Monday afternoon. It is the last live show of 2019, as tomorrow and Wednesday and also Thursday we have pre-recorded shows lined up, but still material that will be new to you. So encourage you to listen the next three days, and then we're back with live shows coming up on Friday with that very first show of 2020. 
But with it being the last show of 2019, figured, yeah, I got to do the gimmick. I got to do my predictions for what will happen in 2020. But I do promise to actually go back and look at these predictions at the end of next year. Or in the case of the predictions I'm going to make on November 3rd of 2020, because I'll be interested to see if my predictions at the end of 2019 slash beginning of 2020 actually turn out to be true. And some of these predictions, I try to be as fair as possible where I'm not just going to say, oh, Democrats are going to win everything. I'm kind of going with my best kind of nonpartisan, or nonpartisan is probably not the best way to put it, my best uh, balanced predictions that I could possibly make on this. So let's run through these again. I do plan on actually looking at these at about 10 months from now to see how do my uh, predictions hold up. So Let's run through these right now, and I want to start off at least at the state level because we have a very competitive race for control of the state Senate. Now, if you're not aware, of course, Republicans have a 35 to 32 majority in the state Senate, but there are several Republican-held Senate seats that are actually represented by two DFLers on the state House side, since at least in Minnesota, each Senate district has two House representatives. And after the 2018 elections, several of these Senate districts that are held to Republicans were actually having both of their House seats flipped to the Democrats. So DFL is pretty optimistic about their chances of possibly retaking the Senate coming up in 2020. So As I was looking through some of these races in terms of margins that we saw in 2016, then also looking at some of the margins we saw in the House races in 2018, I kind of identified that we have about 17 really competitive districts heading into 2020. 17 overall, with 12 of the seats currently occupied by a Republican and five currently held by a Democrat. So... As I go through and look at some of these and the margins, I think the DFL will probably have their most success in the metro area. So my prediction, DFL will flip five Senate seats and the Republicans. I think they could actually pick off one of those outstate seats, so I'll give them one flip. So overall, that will be a net gain of four for the DFL. There's my prediction for the state Senate, and that would give the DFL a 36-31 majority in the state Senate. On the House side... Didn't look at this quite as closely as the state Senate, being that the House is probably going to be less competitive. But overall, I'll say GOP flips four seats and the DFL won't flip any. And that's mostly due to the success of the DFL that they had back in 2018, since that was largely a wave election for Democrats. So GOP, I predict, will flip four seats in the House, but won't be enough to flip control. DFL will maintain a 71-59 majority. So Overall, what's significant about that, at least with my predictions, is that that would have something happen in Minnesota that has not ever happened in our history. That would be unified control of state government during a census year election. Because if you look at what happened back in 2010, we had, after those elections, a Republican Senate, a Republican House, and also a Democratic governor because Mark Dayton narrowly won election. And what's significant about these census elections is that you get to draw the districts for the rest of the decade. So if you have unified control of state government in a census year election, which is every 10 years, so it would be like 2020, 2010, 2000, 1990, and so on and so on, if you have unified control, you can, in theory, gerrymander which is exactly what Republicans did in 2010 when they had a lot of success during those midterm elections. But in Minnesota, we have actually never run into that situation where a party has had unified control of state government. If you go back to 2010, again, as we talked about, Republicans had control of the legislature, but we did have a DFL governor. In 2000, we actually had old Jesse the Body as governor, and we actually had a divided legislature. Then back in 1990 and 1980, we had a DFL-controlled legislature, but Republican governors. Then it's a little more interesting from 1970 and before then, because we actually didn't have partisan legislatures. So in theory, you didn't really have a chance to gerrymander back then. But my predictions hold up. We actually would see a DFL trifecta here in Minnesota. And that would lead them to an interesting situation in terms of whether they would actually want to gerrymander themselves. I think just with how unpopular gerrymandering has got over the past few years, I would say that they probably won't end up gerrymandering, but 
There will be some interesting districts to draw, being that Minnesota is likely to lose a congressional seat. We would go from eight to seven, and we would probably see the elimination of the seventh district. We'd probably see that somewhat combine with CD7 and CD8 into one district. And we would have a situation where we would probably have four metro seats and three outstate seats. So we'll see what happens, at least in terms if we actually lose that congressional seat, because that makes these Senate elections much more significant if we actually do lose a congressional seat, because then you basically have possibly the DFL deciding, well, where those seven districts are now going to be drawn if we do lose a seat. Continue with those predictions up next, but let's talk to a few people here. Randy in Coon Rapids wants to chime in on these predictions. Now, Randy, I want you to listen to my presidential election predictions because I haven't gotten to those yet, but uh, you might like where I'm going to go with that in a way. But go ahead with your thoughts. Well, you've definitely made my day. I'm just sitting here driving home in all the traffic, and I'm listening to the predictions, and I'm like, boy, I think the weather guys are going to be more accurate than he is. And I'm, I'm laughing, so if you're making me laugh, then that's always a good thing. So I I think you're going to be a little far off. And the reason why I think you're going to be off is I think a lot of people are just getting really tired of, especially in this state of the Democrats controlling, and you see all the problems with DHS. You see all the problems. I know, those problematic budget surpluses. Who doesn't want a budget surplus? Well, you know, you look at it. And there's two sides to look at a budget surplus. Ooh, we got some extra money. What are we going to do? And then you can look at it from another side going, hey, we just bought a $10,000 car, but we paid twelve grand, so we got 2000 left over. Well, what can we do with that? No, you overcharged us is what you did. And well, you no, you saved that money. You put that well, in a rainy day fund. So, so you don't have you what over- happened in 2010 when we had $6 billion deficits year after year after year simply because we were giving away tax cuts when we couldn't afford to do that. That's why you well, actually have a savings account, if we're going to use that analogy. Wouldn't it be better if you've got highly qualified people that are, that are doing our budget get a lot closer and they, they take how much money they need to run the government and not have – I mean, obviously – Who, if who are these highly much, qualified people? The ones that are setting the budget, that are, that are setting the taxes, the money they're taking from all the people in Minnesota, if you're taking too much, then the people making those decisions – are not very good at what they're doing. They should be taking what they need, not just going, well, we're going to take all this extra, and now we have extra money. Well, it could actually be I because think, the economy in Minnesota is actually doing pretty well, and that's why you're actually getting of, higher tax co- tax collections. Yes, because of Trump, and it's going to be a landslide next year, and I can't wait till that happens. And I think we're going to take back the House, and Nancy Pelosi's going to the wayside. And then it's going to be really ugly because you're going to have Trump with a Republican House and Senate and with Trump in there. You do realize that a House of Congress has never been flipped in a presidential election, I don't think, since like the 60s or the 70s. It's very rare to actually have that happen. That's at least the nonpartisan way of me looking at this. So that almost never happens. So, Randy, going to let you go. Get ready for history. Get ready for history. All right, Randy. Yep. Randy, uh, continuing with the Kool-Aid there. All right, let's go to Gary in Minneapolis as we continue the phone calls. Hi there, Gary. Hi. I think Randy's budget uh, experts are the guys in Washington that gave us trillions in debt. You remember Clinton got us that big Mm -hmm. surplus and out of Reagan's debt, and then Bush squatted it on uh, the drug companies, insurance companies, and that stupid war he uh, lied us into. And the Mideast is still a mess. Well, anyways, uh, I was just going to say I got some uh, on uh, predictions. Uh, this, a guy that was doing polls was talking. It was part of it. But the bad news is up in northern Minnesota, around Bemidji area and other areas, that's leaning more conservative now. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it to do with the mining issues and their jobs over keeping the water clean and stuff. So that, that that might be a problem. But there's better news for us. You know what that is, uh, Brent? What's that? Well, there was a guy, he does polls. I don't know if he is with the Cook Reporter, what he was with. I, I saw this on TV someplace. Um, the, remember the, all these women, that the majority of white women voted for Trump in 2016, and especially working-class women were the big ones that supported Trump. There's a huge, great big, huge shift of working-class women around the whole country. It ain't just suburban women either. Mm-hmm. 
The men are saying about the same with Trump, but the working class woman without college degree just a huge shift over to the Democrats. He says, don't get me wrong. These are repu- lifelong Republicans, a lot, whole mess of them. But one of the, he said, it ain't just this, this uh, demonizing women. He says more than that. He says he thinks a big part of it. He, this is his opinion: is that Trump is talking about taking away uh, the a, what's it called, the AOC, the Obamacare, and people love Obamacare now. It's helped so many people. It helped, it helped win the governorship of Kentucky, the legislature mm-hmm. of Virginia, traditional conservative areas of the country. And so if that is true, it might be something really good for the Democrats. All right. Thanks for the call, Gary. Do appreciate it. So uh, some predictions there possibly from Gary. But uh, Randy, I don't know if he's looked at the fact as well how weak the Republican Party actually is in Minnesota. We've gone over this many times how, yeah, you can go and say, oh, Trump will have coattails in Minnesota. Well, that's not really been the case whatsoever, as the Republican Party in Minnesota has been weak for years and years and years, not actually winning a statewide election since 2006. And I think that's a big reason why they're probably not going to have success, at least in terms of the state legislature, despite the fact that they could actually have success with Trump, at least on the national ballot. So you do have to look at it from that local perspective as well. All right, heading back to these predictions, at least in terms of what happens in Congress. I'm thinking probably not going to see any changes. I would say Phillips will probably win by a wider margin than he did in 2018. Same with Angie Craig, and that's more with the fact, and again, this goes to the weakness of the Republican Party in Minnesota. They have no credible challengers for either Phillips or Craig. In fact, the guy who's actually challenging Angie Craig, the only Republican who's even announced he's running, is actually someone who said he would be in favor of impeaching Donald Trump and who's someone who actually has a lot of pro-environmental stances. He's actually, I believe, in favor of the Green New Deal, of all things. And this is the Republican that's actually supposedly going to be challenging Angie Craig in the 2nd Congressional District. Meanwhile, in CD3, we have Phillips being challenged by a guy named Kendall Qualls, who we basically know nothing about except for the fact that it looks like he may have moved from out of state, but he's a guy who really hasn't come out with any policy stances, hasn't really been able to fundraise whatsoever, so to me it kind of looks more like a sacrificial lamb type candidate. So, again, that's the reason why I think Republicans are not going to have success in Minnesota is just that they don't really have a very good organizational structure, being that you have two what should be competitive races in CD2 and CD3, and Republicans haven't really landed a credible challenger in either of those districts. At least in terms of the rest of the outstate districts, you'll probably still see Colin Peterson hang on I'm sure Democrats thrilled about that. (laughs) Dan Fien, even though he's challenging Jim Hagedorn again, and if you remember what happened in the election in 2018, uh, Hagedorn won by, I think, a half a percentage point. We're probably going to see a similar election as that, but Hagedorn, I'll say this, probably will still hang on. And then Stauber will also win in CD8, which is too bad because I really like Quinn Nystrom, but Stauber politically has made some really wise moves by essentially just staying out of the media as much as possible and almost kind of taking an Amy Klobuchar type stance in office or approach in office where his idea is to be as non-controversial as possible. And it's actually worked out for him where he has some pretty good approval ratings in CD8. So he'll probably end up winning by, I'm guessing, unfortunately, a substantial margin, even though I actually like Quinn Nystrom as the potential DFL candidate up there in CD8. 952-946-6205, All right, up next, we'll talk about what could happen at the federal level in the U.S. House, the U.S. Senate and also the presidential election. My predictions for 2020 as we do our last show of 2019. Go through a few more of those up next. But first, we'll get to the news from Public News Service. The Public News Service daily newscast for Monday, December the 30th, 2019. I'm Mike Clifford. People of a variety of religious beliefs were victims of violent attacks as the year comes to a close. The Dallas Morning News reporting a gunman opened fire Sunday morning at a church in White Settlement, killing one person and critically wounding another before churchgoers fatally shot him. Police in White Settlement, located about eight miles west of Fort Worth, Texas, say two of the three wounded people, one of whom was the gunman, died at the hospital. 
Meantime, CNN reports the suspect in a string of stabbings during a Hanukkah celebration at a rabbi's home in New York was found with blood all over him. Police say that Grafton Thomas was driving a Nissan Sentra across a GW bridge in New York City when his car's tag was captured by a license plate reader. The NYPD apprehended Thomas without incident after midnight. According to a new Harris poll sponsored by AARP, 95% of women 50 and older say they're likely to vote in the 2020 presidential election. While older women are expected to be a reliable voting block, 7 out of 10 say they still don't know who they're going to vote for. AARP New Hampshire State Director Todd Fahey reflects on the significance of this uncertainty for the Granite State. In a state like New Hampshire, with the First Nation primary, with some 40-plus percent of the population declared independence, it's a pretty important number. The older women polled also prefer an experienced candidate over one with a new approach. According to the survey, the top issue for older women voters is health care, particularly its high cost. I'm Laura Rossbrow-Tellum reporting. Those responding to the poll also say they're more likely than the male respondents to say the economy is on the wrong track and it's not working for them. This is PNS. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says Minnesota is seeing moderate to high flu virus activity. Ingrid Johansson of the Minnesota Immunization Network Initiative says for people who choose to be vaccinated, this time of year can be difficult in places where there aren't many providers. Data tends to show that it's really people who are who are lower income, minority communities, people with language barriers that um, are less likely to be vaccinated. Through Fairview Health Services and a state-funded grant, Johansson oversees the Immunization Network Initiative, which works with community groups to set up clinics where people can get free flu shots. For those who have other health concerns about vaccinations, health officials advise frequent hand-washing and avoiding others who are sick. Mike Moen, Minnesota News Connection. The U.S. Senate expected to consider the National Defense Authorization Act. For the first time, the bill provides funding that would help the military reduce security risks from climate change. Esther Sperling is with the American Security Project. On the tactical side, you face increased extreme weather that can impact base operations. You saw that at Camp Lejeune. When hurricanes hit, they create challenges where troops that were going to deploy end up having to stay and respond to the challenges at home. An analysis of 18 East and Gulf Coast military installations by the Union of Concerned Scientists found the majority of bases will experience increased tidal flooding and land loss within the next few decades. I'm Mike Clifford. Thanks for starting your week with Public News Service. We are member and listener supported. And we're online at publicnewsservice.org. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shamblot from Shamblot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. And I'm Rachel Shamblot. Did you know a lot of people are afraid of the dentist? You don't need to be afraid of my dad. He makes going to the dentist comfortable and even fun. We don't care if you're a dental regular or haven't seen a dentist in years. We just want to make you comfortable and get you out of pain. If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. It's the best time of the year. Toyotathon is on. Rudy Luther Toyota has the 2020 models in stock, and to make room, the 2019s have to go. There are huge incentives from Toyota, and on top of that, Rudy Luther has additional huge discounts. And remember, you get my favorite perk at Rudy Luther, the Luther Advantage card, which gets you 10 cents off a gallon of gas at Holiday Station stores for three years with every vehicle purchased. Rudy Luther Toyotathon is on. Stop on in today at the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Snow is likely to continue tonight with an additional 1 to 3 inches possible and temperatures of around 19 degrees. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 23 and a low of 14. Wednesday, partly sunny with a high of 32 and a low of 27. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned Minnesota restaurants. Make sure the money you spend stays local. Featuring great restaurants such as Burger Moe's, Cafe Latte, and more. Find a full list of restaurants at eatlocalminnesota.com. AM 
950, the progressive voice of Minnesota at 441 on this very snowy afternoon. And this slow-moving snowstorm has has led to my favorite part about having snow in Minnesota, Sam. And that's this. Minneapolis and St. Paul have declared snow emergencies, so we get those fun parking restrictions. You're a Minneapolis resident, right? So do you have to park on the street, or do you luck out and actually get a driveway or a garage or something like that? I usually get to park out in a, gr- in a driveway, so... Oh, you don't have to deal with trying to figure out which side of the street you have to park on, whether it's a snow plow route or an even or odd-numbered. I hate doing that when I have to go no. see friends down in Minneapolis in right, winter. No. Sometimes I stay at my partner's house, and they have, uh, I don't get to park in the driveway there, so then I have to deal with that, but Mm -hmm. I think for this snow emergency, I get to park in my driveway, so. Yeah, so be aware if you're heading out there to Minneapolis or St. Paul, or of course, if you're a resident, that snow emergencies have been declared in both cities, so yeah, have fun parking tonight, since those, they just need to unify those rules between Minneapolis and St. Paul in terms of snow emergencies because that's what makes it confusing sometimes is when you have the different rules in Minneapolis and then the different rules over in St. Paul. All right, let's continue with my predictions for 2020. Had a buddy of mine text. He thinks I should be playing that old sound clip from, I don't know if you remember from Conan O'Brien where he used to do, in the year 2000. Well, we're not going to do that clip on the show, but yeah, kind of similar to that where uh, he used to do that old clip in the year 2000. Used to love that when uh, Conan hosted Late Night. All right, but back onto the predictions for what will happen in 2020. And again, I actually will go back and look at these come next November to see how accurate or inaccurate I am. Because a lot of times people actually don't go back and look at their end-of-the-year predictions, mostly because they're probably wrong. (laughs) I think the only time they actually do go back and check those is when they turn out to be right but all right continuing what will happen at the presidential level unfortunately uh, it's kind of a mixed bag if you're someone who is not a fan of donald trump overall so let's first go with what happened in 2016 so hillary clinton actually beat donald trump in the popular vote margin by 65.8 million to 62.9 million or if you take the percentages it was 48.2 percent to 46.1 percent what i actually think will happen in 2020 is that whoever the democratic nominee is actually going to expand that margin rather significantly i had to go down and drill some numbers i would say we're probably going to have a higher turnout in 2020 than what we had in 2016 simply because people are really really engaged in this election just look at all sorts of polling data that at least shows how engaged people are and excited they are to vote in 2020 for both democrats and republicans and even independents so i'm actually going to predict that whoever the democratic nominee will win the popular vote by six million votes i'm going to go 71 million to 65 million over trump which if you actually take the percentages that would have the democrat winning 51.4 percent to 46.4%, a five percentage point win for the Democrats in terms of popular vote. But, of course, you still have the mess of the Electoral College. And this is where I think Trump will actually still end up winning re-election if you had to make me make a prediction, which I'm doing right now. I would predict the only states that would actually flip from 2016 from Republican to Democrat are Pennsylvania and Michigan. I still think Wisconsin will stick with Republicans in 2020 because a big reason is that voter purge that we saw happen over the past few weeks and months where they're going to be purging thousands and thousands of people off the voting rolls. And as we've seen in very close states like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan, any sort of voter purge, even if it only costs you a couple thousand votes, that could be enough to flip the election. And I think ultimately that's unfortunately a reason why Republicans could still hang on and actually win Wisconsin in 2020. And what I find kind of interesting, too, is that I think you're going to see at least whoever the Democrat Democratic candidate is actually win by a wider margin than Hillary Clinton did in 2016 in a lot of blue states like a California or a Massachusetts or a New York. But of course, the way the Electoral College is set up, that 
doesn't really matter. So what you're probably going to have is a lot of blue states that go very heavily towards whoever the Democratic candidate is, and a lot of states that end up going for Trump, these so-called battleground states like a Florida or an Iowa or a Wisconsin, those will stay Republican but go by very narrow margins because you still actually can kind of thread the needle, kind of like what Trump did in 2016, where you can lose the popular vote by a significant margin but still actually win the Electoral College. And at least with what I'm going to go with my official prediction, if we actually were to have Pennsylvania and Michigan be the only states that change how they voted from 2016 to 2020, you would end up with a Republican winning, that would be Trump, 270 to 268 in the Electoral College, which would make things very, very interesting because if you had even one faithless elector for Trump, that would actually put him down to 269. And it doesn't matter if you have a plurality in the Electoral College. In other words, if you win 269 to 268, that still wouldn't actually get you where you need to be in the Electoral College. You need 270 to actually win. So if you even have one faithless elector, then you would actually see the election go towards the House of Representatives. And they vote in a really interesting way in the House of Representatives. They don't vote by where each representative gets one vote and that determines who the president is. Instead, each state's delegation gets one vote per state and that decides who the president is. So, for instance, in Minnesota, where we currently have five DFLers and three Republicans, obviously the five DFLers would vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is and the three Republicans would vote for Donald Trump. That would lead to just one vote for the Democratic nominee. Same thing in Wisconsin, where over there, Republicans have an edge in their congressional representation. They would get one vote for Trump, and you would do this state by state. And overall, prior to the 2018 elections, the GOP actually controlled 32 state delegations, the Democrats only 17. But after 2018, Democrats were able to narrow that margin where it's now only 26 for the Republicans, 22 for the Democrats, and then two states are actually tied. That's Michigan and Pennsylvania. So if you were to run into that situation where someone did get less than 270 votes, which I think is very, very conceivable because, again, if Pennsylvania and Michigan were to flip Democrat and the rest of the states were to stay the same, you could run into that situation. And then you could even factor in states like Nebraska or Maine, where they actually vote by their congressional districts. And if you get something funny happening, like, for instance, in Nebraska, if you have the state go for the Republican, but then you actually have one of the congressional districts go towards the Democrat, then you could actually have a 269 to 269 tie in the Electoral College. And that's something that I think is very, very plausible to actually happen this year in 2020. And again, even though the Dems had a lot of success in 2018, Republicans still control a majority of state delegations. Uh, well, they would still be able to select the president, even if you had a faithless elector in the Electoral College that could potentially put someone below that 270 threshold. All right, that's at least what I think will happen in terms of the presidential election. You're going to see whoever the Democratic nominee is win the popular vote by an even wider margin in 2020 than 2016. But unfortunately, whether it goes to the Electoral College or the House of Representatives, you're still likely going to see Trump get reelected. So hopefully I'm wrong on that prediction, but uh, that's at least what I'm going to go with. Uh, we'll see how that turns out coming up November 3rd of 2020. All right, two final predictions in the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. U.S. House, not a lot of change, simply because we did see a blue wave in 2018. I'll go and say Dems lose eight seats, but then are able to flip three seats. So overall, that would be a net gain of five for Republicans, would still leave the Dems in the majority, 230 to 205. In the Senate, I think that actually could come down to a 50-50 tie, in which case that goes to the president's party, which if Trump is reelected, that would still be them, because I could see the Democrats flipping seats in Arizona, Colorado, Maine, and North Carolina, with Republicans still hanging on and uh, flipping Alabama, because, well, that's the seat that Doug Jones won back in 2017. And, of course, Alabama is a very heavy Republican seat. So if you were to go by that, where the Dems would flip four seats, the GOP would flip one Senate seat, that would actually leave the Senate in a 50-50 tie. And the tie goes to the president's party. So 
overall, after 2020, I think, yeah, you'll see a very, very close election in terms of the Electoral College and then also what happens in the Senate as well. By the way, speaking about Doug Jones, just mentioning him, he's, of course, as I talked about, the Alabama senator who's actually a Democrat. There actually is some polling data that shows he's doing better than I at least thought he would. He's only trailing his Republican challengers by about four percentage points, which, considering how Republican that state is, that's actually not a bad thing for him. He trails former Auburn football coach Tommy Tuberville, uh, Tommy Tuberville, rather, 44 to 40. Uh, Jeff Sessions, who used to hold that seat and, of course, is the former attorney general. This one surprised me. He only leads Jones in the polls 46 to 42. Well, there's a few other guys who also lead Jones by about three percentage points. And then, ah, remember Roy Moore? Well, he still is running for the nomination. And if he were to get it, uh, he would actually lose to Jones 47 to 33. So we can only hope Republicans in Alabama would be... uh, Funny enough to actually re-nominate Roy Moore coming up in the 2020 cycle. All right, so there you go. My predictions for 2020. Running through those one more time, at least at the state level, I'll say after 2020, DFL controls the Senate 36-31. They'll control the House 71-59. In Congress, no change there. Presidential election will go with Democrats actually winning the popular vote 51 to 46 percent. Electoral College will still go Republican 270 to 268. Dems maintain control of the U.S. House and the Senate. I'll say that goes to a 50-50 tie. So we'll look back on November 3rd of 2020 to see how accurate or inaccurate my predictions actually are because I will actually hold myself accountable when it comes to these predictions in uh, November. So we will see. And Randy, you can come back and gloat if I end up being completely wrong on these. But Do keep in mind, I actually still do think your guy will still win the Electoral College and still be reelected, albeit by the narrowest of margins. 952-946-6205-952-946-6205. Got a few more miscellaneous stories to wrap up the show today and also 2019. Again, it's our final live show of the year here on AM 950. Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club is delighted to offer its spacious facilities for your private function. From weddings, retirement parties, business dinners, or any special occasion, Crooner's combines a dedicated, full-service special events team, an award-winning chef, and a beautiful lakeside ambiance to make your event a resounding success. Visit croonersloungemn.com to learn more about their private dining options or call 763-571-9020 to get a quote for your next event today. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Our station has worked with Barbara from WYSIWYG Web Design for years on everything from logo to print design and especially for developing our website. She does great work and is great to work with listening to what our goals and design ideas were while offering new, innovative ideas to create the website we are proud of today. Barbara made sure she understood our station, our goals, and our mission before she started working on our site and made suggestions to help control the cost. Plus, she's friendly, which set us at ease. I recommend Barbara at WYSIWYG Web Design because I know she will deliver an attractive, professional website within the budget you have. She is a local independent business that specializes in helping other local businesses achieve their website and design goals. She can work with nearly any budget and create anything from simple sites to robust custom functionality. To find out more about the company AM950 Trust, go to WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Spelled out just like it sounds, WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. 
Visit us at betterfuturesminnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett and Sam with you. Yeah, I'm about like maybe 25% confident in those predictions. So, yeah, I'm making those, but take them with a grain of salt. I have no idea what's actually going to happen in 2020. I just think it'll be fun to go back and uh, look at what I predict happened to see if I'm actually close to being right in terms of what happens on November 3rd, 2020. All right, I got to bring up this poll because this one I found kind of funny, not necessarily in terms of the results, but how it was actually conducted. So check this out. A new CNBC poll of millionaires. Again, a CNBC poll of millionaires finds that Joe Biden actually beats Trump in a general election matchup 48 to 41 percent. In fact, Biden would even get 18 percent of Republican millionaire votes in a Trump versus Biden matchup. The only other Dem who were to beat Trump among millionaires would be Pete Buttigieg. Meanwhile, Trump, not surprisingly, would both beat Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. But I'm trying to picture how they conduct that poll, Sam. Like if they actually call someone up and say, are you a millionaire? What do you say, yes or no? I'm trying to figure out how you actually do some sort of cross-reference to figure out the people that you are actually polling are really millionaires. Because I would have some fun with that. I would go out and say and tell a pollster, yeah, I'm a millionaire. Just to have some fun with that. So I, I'd like to be whoever that pollster is because I might even ask for some money if I'm a pollster and I get to call a bunch of millionaires. That seems like kind of a fun way to maybe make some money. All right, one final story before we wrap things up for today. Have you seen these ads from Exxon Mobil pop up in your social media feeds that are talking about how they're changing the way that they are going to make energy in the 21st century. You often see like scientists handling these beakers of green goo and talking about how algae will supposedly fund the future and how they're actually going to be making us more fuel efficient in the 21st century. Well, if you have, you're likely a target of an oil company's advertising campaign. And by the way, oil companies have overall spent $200 million on what's called reputation advertising in 2018, just on reputation advertising, not actual traditional advertising. So has had an effect as that's probably a reason why climate change still not something we're dealing with here in the country. All right, that's all the time we have for today. I'll see you in 2020. Good in your mind.